When I first glimpsed the Rio Grande, I mistook it for a sewer drain. It was December 1973. I was 16 and hitchhiking from home in eastern Pennsylvania to my best friend Tony's house in Northern California. I'd caught a ride through El Paso, Texas, which sits on the north bank of the river. Those who have traveled that interstate know there isn't much river to look at. By the time the Rio Grande reaches the northern outskirts of El Paso and begins to form the international border for its final 1,260 miles to the Gulf of Mexico, the flow has been reduced to an ankle-deep trickle of contaminated water. In fact, the first time I looked at it, I didn't see it at all. What I did see, and it made a profound impression on me, was the abject colonia, or shantytown, which to this day sits in a dusty rise on the Mexican side, immediately adjacent to the freeway. It appears so close and the river so tiny that upon first glance, the colonia seems to be an El Paso slum on the periphery of downtown. When I saw its poverty, I asked the long-haired man giving me a ride if El Paso had any neighborhoods worse than the one beside us, which was the worst I had ever seen in my sixteen years of middle-class American life. He chuckled and said I was seeing Mexico, not El Paso, and what I had been mistaking for a sewer drain was the main channel of the fabled Rio Grande. I thought he was joking. I found the squalor of the colonia both disquieting and fascinating. Cardboard shacks with roofs of plastic sheeting lined random, unpaved paths in no clear order. I could see chickens wandering among the hovels, and emaciated dogs slumping as they sniffed hopefully at trash in the dirt. Cars that appeared to have been resurrected from junkyards bounced slowly through the maze of seemingly temporary encampments. Incredulous, I asked my driver, do people really live there? Oh, sure, he said. But that's one of the better ones. They can be a lot worse than that. It was nearly impossible for my sheltered mind to assimilate what my eyes saw, let alone to conceive of an environment a lot worse than that. Now, when I glanced back at the modest skyscrapers of downtown El Paso and saw them juxtaposed against the miserable makeshift structures in their shadows, those high-rises suddenly looked luxurious. My father was transferred to Houston, Texas only six months later. His patience had been stretched beyond its wide limits by my dropping out of high school the previous year and hitchhiking all around the U.S., so he made me a deal. If I would attend school, get a part-time job, and stay out of trouble, he would allow me unlimited freedom to hitchhike wherever I wanted when school wasn't in session, as long as I could get the release time from work. During spring break of my senior year in March 1975, I decided to hitchhike to Monterrey, Mexico, some 450 miles southwest of Houston, despite the fact that I spoke no Spanish and had never been to Mexico. On that trip, I saw the Rio Grande for the second time, as I crossed the International Bridge at Laredo. The river here is as wide as at any point along its entire course between El Paso and the Gulf of Mexico, and I was struck by the contrast in its size relative to the trickle I had seen fifteen months before. In Laredo, although the sweep of the river pales in comparison to the Missouri, the Mississippi, the Yukon, and the St. Lawrence, the only four North American rivers longer than the Rio Grande, at least it looked like a real river.
with vegetation lining its banks and water coursing through its channels. I stood looking down at the dark water on a warm March night, my feet straddling the international border, one foot in Mexico, one in the U.S., and watched the city lights twinkling on its inky surface. Then I entered Mexico for the first time, alone, naive, and underprepared for the experiences that awaited me half a river's width away.